This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Welcome to today's mini masterclass. I'm James Roy, I'm your host. Today I'm talking to Amelia McInerney, who is a Blue Mountains resident, a children's picture book writer. She doesn't illustrate, she writes the text. And in this interview, she talked to me about how you get started in the picture book world, how you get that first idea and how you develop that, and some of the pitfalls and some of the tips that you can take away from someone who's actually been involved in this world. She has written a couple of well-regarded books, the Bookchook and also Bad Crab. Now, as she was recording this, she had to go and hop in her car because her coverage wasn't terribly good to do the Zoom meeting. And we had a couple of people come along trying to mow lawns while she was trying to talk in the car. So that's why she has <laughs> a reference to the uh, lawnmower at the end. But uh, here's Amelia McInerney. Amelia, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Good, thanks, James. Thanks for having me. That's all right. You had to get in your car and drive um, drive up to somewhere with better reception, didn't you? Yes, I live, uh, I'm totally surrounded by the bush in the Blue Mountains and I live in a black hole of telecommunications. So three hours down, it's fine. <laughs> it's not always a bad thing, though, is it, to be out of, out of contact with people. I mean, there's a lot about this isolation stuff that is actually quite good for an artist, I think, or for a creator. Yeah, if I don't want to speak to someone on the phone, I just walk into a bad room and it goes crackling and I don't have to fake it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, today we're talking about picture books. And I guess really what we're trying to do here is you know, offer something that if somebody is interested in writing a picture book uh, or creating a picture book, uh, what their approach might be, what advice you might offer them. Because I think people, and I've, as you know, full disclosure, I've written a whole bunch of books. I've never had a picture book picked up because, you know, I don't know what the reason is. I guess maybe I'm just not very good at them. But the assumption seems to be by <laughs> a lot of people that picture books are something that just anyone can, can rattle off. What's, what's your view on that? Yeah, and actually I was one of those people um, when I first got the idea to start writing picture books, um, which was five and a half years ago. Um, I honestly thought that if I sat down uh, at the table in two hours, I'd have myself a publishable picture book manuscript. I actually thought that. And um, after two hours, I looked what I'd read and it was horrible and I threw it away. And then the very next idea I had uh, took me 18 months to write. And that was my first book, The Book Chook, 18 months later. So it takes an incredible amount of time to just constantly uh, revise and hone, particularly if it's rhyming, I feel, which a lot of my work is. Yeah, there's a lot that each little word has to do. A lot of people go straight for the rhyming straight away. Do you think that the rhyming is something that should be avoided or is it, is there, what's your approach to that idea? I mean, we're, we're probably getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but let's, let's talk about that now. Well, yeah, I love to rhyme. Um, most of my books are in rhyme. Um, not all of them, and I have a new wordless one, but rhyming, it's my favourite thing about picture books. I also think you should only do rhyme if, um, if it sort of feels natural to you. It's kind of like music, I guess. So there's a, still a learning curve, but I think it helps if you've got that ear to start with. Otherwise, I'd say stick to prose. 
so let's go back to the beginning. Uh, let's say you've got, uh, in fact, I was going to say, let's say you've got an idea, but let's go back even further than that, because um, that's the first question that most writers are asked, where do you get your ideas? So if you've got the urge to write a picture book and you, you've, you've written, you've published two, you've got four more that are in the works that are coming out probably next year, um, either, I think you told me before, they're either completely finished in there or the illustrations are done or they're having the illustrations done now. Um, yeah. so presumably you want to keep writing picture books. You've got to have a fresh idea for each of those. So how do you, how do you go about that? Um, it's such a hard one to answer because I don't really know. I just, um, it's often the character that comes to me first. Um, sometimes it's a line of dialogue um, in a really strong voice that that character has. Sometimes the whole thing can just pop into your mind and sometimes I only just get a glimpse and I have to keep writing to, to find out what, you know, 90% of the story is. So I think what I do is I just sort of go with what I feel excited about, whether it's a full idea or just something that I think is funny or a dynamic between two characters is interesting. And I am what's called a pantser. So a fly by the seat of your pants kind of writer rather than a plotter which means, oh, someone's just started mowing next to the car. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so that means I can, that... I can still hear you really clearly, so just oh, carry good. on until we're forced to move on. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that means I will start... I start at the start of the manuscript and then I just write line by line and I just see where it goes. And I often have no idea what the plot is going to be. I just uh, go on the journey with it and uh, somehow yeah. works out. So maybe, maybe what we could do then is think about one of the picture books that you have either had published or is in the works at the moment and take us through the uh, the process from that first initial idea and and how you started to develop that and, and turn that into something that was more substantial i mean we, it's easy to have a initial idea but you've got to see that there's some legs in this idea right yeah that's right and um i think when you first start you don't really know whether it has legs until you've invested quite a bit of time and so um, but all you can do is do your best and see how it turns out. That's my approach. So with my first book, um, which is called The Book Chook, I first got that idea, cliche, in the shower, and it's the only idea I've ever had in the shower. Um, but I first just heard this chicken talking and panicking and freaking out, and, uh, and I thought there was just something in that. And I, like I said before, I just felt excited about that idea, and so I stayed with it. And eventually he was panicking about not knowing that he wasn't real, that he was a drawing in the book. And so it was this, I thought, oh, I've got a unique idea there. I don't know of a book where they don't know that they're not real. And um, there's a fourth wall break, which is where you, the character talks to the audience. And so he tries to physically get out of the book. And I thought, oh, that'll be fun for kids. And it's, it's a new idea. And so we just sort of went from there. I had a critique done at a writing festival, um, a squibby conference it was, and it was there was a suggestion to start the story slightly earlier than how I had originally started it, which was with him freaking out that he's just made this discovery. And so I thought, oh, that'll make it longer. It was already quite long because when you start writing, you tend to write too many words. So it was about 600 words, which is at least 100 too many. But I did that and I thought I'll start earlier. And then the second character came into fruition and originally there was only the one character. So I realised to make the discovery, he needed another character to talk to. So it's sometimes very step by step. 
and I think it was a good six or 12 months into the writing that um, when I hadn't even had a second character yet. So it can be very slowly um, in its evolution. And then I've written other books in four days in rhyme. Uh, so th I find that they're all very different. You were lucky enough to, um, and for anyone listening who doesn't know Squibby, which is actually um, Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. And so you went to a conference and, and somebody gave you some advice. What, what would you suggest to someone who, who is just sort of fumbling around doing this? Would you suggest they join an organisation or a group like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's invaluable, really, to go to events where you can get um, assessments on your manuscript by real publishers and editors. Um, and there's a chance they'll pick you up there, uh, which happens. It, it is really a great way to improve your manuscript because, um, you know, they're the professionals and you, you sort of can't get access to those in other places. So those events are really worthwhile going to. Uh, when you're starting out. How long would you normally spend writing a, a book? I mean, I know you said that sometimes a couple of hours later you go, oh, wow, I've got the core, but are there books, are there stories and books that you find yourself running into a bit of a wall with and having to put them away? And Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sometimes you sort of just don't know what happens next, you know, because I don't write with the entire plot in my mind. Sometimes I'll hit a wall with what happens um, or how it ends uh, or the middle and when that happens I just put it away and work on another story and um, just sort of hope and trust that my brain will work it out for me and then uh, revisit it perhaps even six months or a year down the track. I guess that's one of the pitfalls of being a pantser and I, I'm one of those as well as I and you know we've talked on this podcast before we've talked several times about this um, and I'm, I'm definitely one of those but yeah that is a pitfall isn't it that you go well at some point, I'm just going to have to be patient and wait for this idea to reveal itself. Yeah, I think you sort of have to have uh, faith in your own brain or your muse or whatever that it'll work itself out. And, uh, you know, as long as you love what you're doing, if that text ends up not going anywhere, you know, oh, well, that's okay. You'll do another one. <laughs> you have young kids. I'm not sure how old they are. How, how old are your children? Uh, 11, 9 and 5. Okay, but you started writing five years ago, so they were whatever that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was uh, when the last one was born, yeah. Right, I had a brainwave, yeah. You had a brainwave, <laughs> okay. Well, what was the brainwave? How did that go? Oh, the brainwave to actually start writing, um, yeah, I was just reading a really bad picture book to, you know, my three-year-old and the newborn and, oh, who published this? And I looked and it was a huge publisher. Oh, terrible. I could do better than this. And it was just like, bing. I want to write picture books. I think I might be able to do this. Nothing like what I'd done before in my life. Um, but I just got into it and I just started learning. So I just learnt for free. So I haven't done any actual, you know, writing degree or anything like that. Just on the internet. Um, just, you know, probably amassed a degree or two's worth of information that way. When you're working, I know that for myself, when I'm writing for, say, middle grade readers, I'm imagining that I'm reading it to a group of year six students sitting on the floor of a library at their local school here. Do you find yourself imagining an audience? So how do you work out what audience that book is for? Because picture books start out as incredibly young picture books and they go up to things like Matt Otley and Sean Tan and these guys do and graphic novels and beyond. Is that something that you do at the beginning? You go, this is a book for preschooler age or do you just tell, start that story and, and work it out later? 
Yeah, I don't really um, think about kids in general and who it's for. I just tend to write the story. And I think um, maybe having young kids myself, um, that's easy for me to do. But I think I always write for myself and I try to picture myself as a child and, and ask myself, would I like this? Because I think it's really important for the writer themselves to enjoy what they're writing and, and to keep themselves interested because it takes so long to write them. And I think, you know, that spark of uh, energy is going to be there if you love it yourself. And then you can tweak your age later sometimes. Which, one, which age do you prefer writing for once you get all that process out of the way? Most of my picture books, well, they're sort of at the sophisticated end of picture books, I guess you would say. Um, so like four to seven. Um, I've written one that's almost wordless that sort of sits a lot younger than what I usually write. But um, yeah, that can be read like a, a comic book so an older child can write it. But yeah, I would say my rhyming books or prose, yeah, for a four to seven, I would say. Well, that, that brings me to the next question I wanted to ask you, actually, quite neatly. I've noticed with a few picture books, so for example, I'm going to give a couple of examples here. Um, the Great Bear by Libby Gleason and Armand Grader. Uh, the last several pages of that book are wordless and uh, the power of the illustrations of what make it work. Another example might be something like um, Dog in Cat Out. I think Julian Rubenstein wrote that. And um, that's just got Cat in Dog Out, Dog in Cat Out in various combinations of those two things. At some point when you send this to a publisher, you have to let go of that and you have to have faith that the very few words that you have put on that page perhaps have to work on their own. Is that a scary moment? Yeah, it's always a little bit scary. Um, um, but that's how it is if you don't illustrate yourself um, because really, it really is a 50-50 type of deal where um, the illustrator can you know, bring their own everything to it. And that, you know, that's your story and that's how it is. So I've been so lucky that I've loved um, the, the two books that have come out already because if you don't like it, bad luck. <laughs> so so how, how did that relationship work with um, Connor Brecon? I think, I think it's Brecon, but I'm not Brecon, sure. You might Connor be right. And, um, and Philip Bunting did Bad Crap. Are you allowed to tell us who's doing your other ones? Um, I'm not sure. Okay, well, I'm well, not sure if I... <laughs> we'll let that one go through then. So when when you hand it over to them and, and presume I think a lot of people think that they can go to the publisher and say, I really want this person, I've done the illustrations. What what advice would you offer around that? Yeah, no, that's not how it works. Yeah, a lot of people think that, but you just um you just write the text and give it in and it's up to the publisher to find the, the illustrator. So they might not even ask you, what do you think about this person or how do you see this? Um, some of them do, some of them don't. So, yeah, that's really up to the publishing house. I guess there are, I guess there are teams of people or combinations of people who have worked together a lot. Uh, I know Libby Gleason has done quite a few with Freya Blackwood and, and, and so forth. But is it really down to their publisher and who they think will best interpret the text that you've given them? Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, you know, with how commercial that your book is going to be, you know, is it going to be for the school's market or, you know, wider, um, they just have a particular vision for that book. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of things that go into it as well as availability and timelines. Illustrators can be busy. So, yeah, it's really, um, 
you just sort of see how it goes. But you, you, all you have to do is write that text. All you can control is the words on the page and, and then it's, it's off. So presumably there's different levels of collaboration between, you know, some, some duos of writer and illustrator would collaborate more than others. How much collaboration did you have or did you just have to let, let it go and wait for what came back? Yeah, not much. Um, one of my books is almost wordless. So we did collaborate on that one, but it's done through the publisher. So we're not talking, Philip Munting and I weren't talking directly um, about that. It was all through the publisher. And I think that's um, just the way it goes, I think, here and in other countries. So, yeah, you can put illustration notes. So when you're writing your text, you can put like notes in, you know, italicized gray text uh, um, that describes something that's really vital in the illustration that needs to be there for the story to be understood. But you can't describe, you know, if she's wearing a, a red jacket or something useless like that. But if you say it's actually not a hairbrush, it's actually a microphone or, or whatever that's really pertinent to the story, you can add those in and then it's up to the publisher whether they hand those notes on to the illustrator. Sometimes they they take them out and give the illustrator a clean manuscript so they can have their own idea, their own vision. Yeah, so that's one thing that you can add as a writer, the illustration notes, but very sparingly. Yes, because I, because I imagine that there are illustrators out there who don't take kindly to being given any kind of direction at all, just as there are writers who don't like illustrators telling them what their words should be, I suppose. Yeah, I guess it's a tricky dance and that's what the publisher does, just keep everybody happy, keep everybody's, you know, egos intact and um, everybody wants the best book. So, yeah, that's that's how making a picture book works. If you don't illustrate, you're a part of a team and I've been just thrilled with how my books have turned out so far. So, fingers crossed, um, you know, it, it keeps on. You're working on a picture book. How conscious are you of the fact that you can't say too much descriptively in that text is that something that plays on your mind constantly like oh i've said too much there i have to leave have to leave space for the illustrator um i think i just sort of do it automatically i think i think fairly visually so i can always see sort of something that's on that page and i i write so that my manuscripts don't really make much sense when you read them alone without the illustration notes and i think a good picture book does that i think if it works as a story by itself without the pictures, it may not you know, be the best kind of picture book because you're wanting the pictures to do the work. So I'm sort of seeing that and jumping ahead, you know, taking small narrative leaps because I know that part of the story will be visible in the illustration. Is, that, um, is part of that um, submission process then is that, can we assume that at some point, you might, if it's that kind of text, you may need to supply some kind of synopsis saying, look, this is, this is a story about it, this and this is how it fits in and give them a little bit of background that isn't illustration notes, but is a little bit of story background and story notes. Yeah, I think it's clever to do that in your pitch. So when you submit, you know, in the body of your email, you'll have your pitch, which is just a couple of paragraphs explaining the book, perhaps saying, you know, what comparable text that's uh, similar to in the market or, or something like that, and then maybe discuss the theme or maybe discuss the reason why you wrote it or what the heart of the book is or how it relates to you. Some important background info you can give in the pitch rather than put, you know, in the bottom of the text of your, um, of your work. But, 
yeah, the publishers are very visual, visual, so they, they should, they'll be able to see a lot more than you think when you first start out. I think you don't have to over-describe a lot of things. I don't know if you've seen on YouTube, but there are some people out there now rapping Dr. Seuss books. I him? saw that guy. He was amazing. There's, there's also a woman who... Socks and socks. Yeah, there's a woman who's rapped um, all the places you go. Oh, really? Yeah, and so forth. And, and <laughs> have you ever tried rapping one of your picture books? Because I, this is rhyming, it might work. Lay down a beat for you and you can just sort of... Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I sort of approach writing rhyming picture books kind of like music. Um, it's, it's harder than writing lyrics to a song because, you know, songwriters can, you know, quickly say a few words to make the beat stay constant, but you can't do that when you write a rhyming picture book. It has to be perfect the way uh, it, anybody says it the first time in natural speech rhythm. So it kind of is like a song, a rhyming picture book. So you do very much, I write like in four, four times. So I, I keep my lines even in the number of beats. So it's funny that you ask that because that, that is kind of how I approach it. So a couple of quick questions to wrap up. What's your favourite picture book of all time? Oh, man. Oh, put you on the spot there, haven't I? There are so many. Um, Which picture books do you wish you'd written? I mean, obviously, you'd go, well, <laughs> cat on the hat because you would be a million. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I think when I was a kid, there's a, a book, I think it came out in like 1976 or something, and it was with Grover, um, and it was the monster at the end of this book. And I think... Um, I can't remember who wrote it, but I think that sort of had such a big effect on me. It sort of inspired the book chook in a way because it broke the fourth wall and Grover was talking to the reader and saying, don't get the end, you know, not don't get, don't turn another page. Or, you know, there's a monster at the end of this book and it turns out to be him. But um, I think I loved that book so much as a kid that I think it stayed in my brain somewhere and that's, you know, informs my first uh, picture book idea. <laughs> it's funny, actually, that you say that from 1976 because that seems to have been a trend of late is this sort of these books that challenge kids to immerse themselves in the telling of the story. For example, you know, a good example would be this is a ball by Matt Stanton, you know, the, the, uh, yeah. and the kids are going, that's not a ball, that's a box. Well, that's a box and what's this? Well, that's a car. No, it's not like a car, it's this, whatever. And um, I was kind of thinking about this and I've seen a whole bunch of these come across my desk, these books that encourage the kid to engage in a whole new way and are quite meta in their own way. Yeah. But I, it, it's sort of surprising. I'm not familiar with the book you're talking about, so it kind of surprises me to realise that even back in 1976, this sort of thing was Groundbreaking. Time. Yeah, and I think it was probably super rare for back then. But, yeah, you're right. The, you know, the trend now is to, you know, talk to the reader a lot more and, you know, perhaps break the fourth wall, as I was saying before, um, be more interactive. And play with that unreliable narrative. Yeah, I love subversion. A lot of yeah, yeah. In, in a lot of my writing is subversive because you know kids love that. You know, because they're so smart and they work things out and they like to be in on it. So yeah, mm -hmm. I love doing that. And um, if you could, if your next picture book after the four that are being worked on right now, obviously, your next picture book could be illustrated by anyone. Who would you pick? We'll see what we can do. <sighs> Um, oh, I love Dan Santat and Adam Rex. Those are American guys. Um, oh, there's so many great illustrators. I mean, I would happy, happily have the same illustrators I've already had again. 
<laughs> so I guess it really kind of comes down to what the what your text is like and and which which illustrator would, would do the best yeah. job. For it. I would love Andrew Joyner, Gus Gordon. Yeah, I think there's so many, you know, those amazing illustrators that would just be a dream come true just to, to have a, a collection. I wonder when I'm old, I wonder how many books I'll have written and who will illustrate them all. So exciting. Yeah, I was in the office the other day and I saw a, a Roddy Doyle book and it had been illustrated by Freya Blackwood. I thought, wow, that's... Um, wow. I'm not sure who, who got the better deal there, whether Freya worked with Roddy or Roddy worked with Freya. I think they're both pretty cool. Amazing, yeah. Look, thank you so much for joining us today, Amelia. Last bits of advice for anyone who's thinking about doing what you've done and getting into the picture book world. And in fact, I might take the advice myself because as I say, I've never managed to get one up. Ah, well, I'm the other way. I think I'm trying to spread into chapter books, but I can't finish one because I keep going back to write more picture books. <laughs> I'm a bit <laughs> addicted. Um, words of advice, I think. Just write, you know, whatever amuses you, I think, rather than, you know, writing for anyone else in particular. I think, you know, they say write from the heart. I think I, what it, I write funny books. So I write what makes me laugh. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I would say just write whatever you enjoy writing for yourself. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, you, can, you can drive home now. And, uh, <laughs> thank you. You can even drive along. Exactly. Why not? All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me, James. It's been a pleasure.